US job numbers were quite a bit higher than most had expected and it had quite a marked impact as the question is asked, is this the substantial progress that the Fed has been looking for and does that mean that they will ease off on bond purchases sooner rather than later? We'll look at what that means and what it meant for markets on Friday, including the Aussie and Kiwi dollar. And what impact will China's trade data over the weekend have as well? It was softer than expected. That's not good for Australia. And neither are the continued lockdowns, which is why NAB is a little more pessimistic on short-term growth than the RBA. We'll look at all of that today. It's Monday, the 9th of August, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. So quite a reaction to the non-farm payrolls on Friday. We saw the US dollar up 0.6% on the day on the DXY index and up 0.4% on the Japanese yen, up 0.9% on the Swiss franc. The Aussie dollar and the euro were down a bit more than 0.6%, taking the Aussie below 73.6 US cents. The pound was down 0.4%. US stocks picked up, well, not for the NASDAQ, which was down 0.4%, but the Dow was up 0.4%. Uh, the S&P 500 gained 0.2%. Banks were the big winners. JP Morgan and Bank of America both up almost 3% on Friday. So back to the reflation trade, it seems. Uh, The Eurostoxx 50 was up 0.3%. In China on Friday, the CSI 300 was down more than half a percent. We saw seven basis points added to the US 10-year Treasury yields, nine added to 10-year gilts in the UK, and falls in oil, down 1.2% for WTI. And precious metals as well, Comic uh, Gold down 2.5%, Silver down 3.8%. Rodrigo Cotrill joins us this morning from NAB in Sydney. So, yeah, a lot of that is non-farm payrolls related, isn't it? On Friday, we saw 943,000 new jobs in July, unemployment falling from 5.9% to 5.4%. Now, we know, we were saying on Friday, there's a, a big range of expectations for this report, but I think this was a lot better than most had expected, wasn't it? Morning, Phil. Yes, yes, definitely on, on the top end of expectations. Um, and I suppose the major mm. takeaway is obviously that this uh, improvement in the labour market takes us a, a step closer to, to that tapering decision by the Fed. Um, and I suppose yeah. that's the big debate, right? Because it, depending on what barometer you use, we are there, we're almost there, we're still a little bit uh, work to be done. Yeah. Uh, is it substantial progress, to use their words? Is this substantial? Or if we had it again in a month's time, would that be substantial progress? That's right. So I, I was looking at sort of all the recent quotes, Fed Bullard, amongst others, a few within the FMC think we're already there. Um you know, Governor Waller uh, made that quote last week, and he said that, you know, if we see 800 to 1 million jobs added both in July and August, he would be supportive of, of a tapering. So we need one more print on, on, on that measure. Uh, and Governor Brainerd was a little bit strict in terms of her thinking, hinting at the idea that we needed to make two-thirds of the 10 million shortfall that was evident uh, last year, at the end of the last year in December. So uh, that means that she would like to see around 6.6 to 7 million job creation. And so far since December, we've, we've now printed 4.3 jobs. So uh, on Berenard's measure, we still, uh, at best case scenario, two prints, two more similar prints uh, for, for, um, for her to, to be supportive of that. Uh, whereas, um, you know, Walla would, would suggest that we one more. Uh, but I, I suppose the, the major takeaway for us is that it seems that the a tapering announcement is now being more sort of looks more certain before the end of the year. Um, and then the really important debate to us is like, well, what happens then? Because we know that the, the Fed is printing 120 uh, or rather buying 120 billion of, of bonds every month. If you taper, I'd say at a rate of 20, 
then you get done in six months. And then that, that opens the debate as when, when are you going to be hiking? If, if you taper at a rate of 10 billion, for instance, then that takes you a year. So, so I think that that will be the important detail, if you like, as and when the, the Fed tapering announcement is made. Now, in the, 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 these volatile, t- volatile times, which we certainly live in, I mean, we saw quite a response on Friday, didn't we, in bond markets and in, in equities. So I just wonder how much of that is, is going to stick and how much of it's going to unwind. Because, I mean, obviously, it, uh, it, we saw bond, higher bond yields. It's not helping the NASDAQ. But, I mean, that could all turn around. We've seen it before. We've seen it before. And, and quite right, sometimes when you see those big reactions on the day, there's a bit of a, an unwinding of those, those reactions a week later. Um, but I suppose we've got to remember the starting points and the 10-year Treasury yields in particular were quite suppressed uh, ahead of the number. Mm. Um, so if, if the, the economic data continues to, to look solid, there's an argument there to suggest that you know, the, uh, 10-year Treasury yields can retain that uh, uplift and, and in fact uh, make even further progress from here. Um, I suppose the other, the other dynamic is, is what is happening within the curve. Uh, we've seen a big steepening of the curve. And as you say, longer part of the curve has gone up. And, and that typically when you see big movements, you see how the tech sector becomes a bit more sensitive to that. And, and that's one of the takeaways from, from the price action in the equity market. Whilst, as you also mentioned, the procyclical sectors have benefited and, and sort of they're pricing in this improvement in, in, in the economic outlook for, for the US. So does this uh, justify the RBA decision uh, last week? I mean, it it surprised me. It surprised you because you were telling me it wasn't going to happen, uh, that, they, that they were pushing yeah. ahead with their tapering. I mean, does this justify that? You know, because it was a surprise given all the lockdowns in Australia. We don't know how long they're going to last, but they didn't do that U-turn on the on the September uh, tapering decisions. So, is this because they're expecting the Fed are going to move sooner? Well, the, first of all, thanks for reminding me about. Uh, my, <laughs> you don't get away uh, with secondly, anything on this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought a week will will be enough, but no, thank you. Um, well, to, okay, so I suppose from a, the RBA rationale, it's fair to say what, what experience has taught us since the pandemic is that uh, we, we have been able to recover very quickly when we've seen these setbacks from, from lockdowns. So it's a fair argument to suggest that the RBA, the RBA is right in thinking, well, if this lockdown, uh, you know, gets uplifted or rather lifted before the end of the year, then we should see a solid rebound in economic activity. Now, mm. Um, the criticism to, to this is that we actually don't know how long it's going to take. Um, what we've now seen is that the lockdown is now likely to be more longer lasting in Victoria as well. Um, so, so the, the, the contraction that the Australian economy is likely to experience, it, it is potentially going to be a little bit bigger than what the RBA is thinking. Um, yeah. and then, and then the, the bigger criticism, if you like, is, is the question mark as how much of, you know, uh, destruction is going to be um, uh, created from from the lockdowns. In a, in a sense, how many businesses are going to be able to restart again after being battered down so many times? So uh, there's still uncertainty in terms of the outlook for the RBA. Uh, but at the moment, uh, you know, their view is that, they, and given the experience from not only Australia, but other economies, is that there's the potential for the economy to rebound very strongly as and when we all get to a high level of vaccination. Yeah, it's, but it's the point up to then. So the RBA yeah. statement of monetary policy on Friday, I mean, they, yeah, I mean, that they are, they're more bullish than NAB is predicting, aren't they, in terms of the growth that, for example, what we're seeing right now? Yes. So in that sense, um, you know, the, the potential for, for the, uh, the negative impact from, from the lockdowns is, is, is increasing by the day. Um, now the news of, uh, mm-hmm. of, of, for Victoria in particular is, is that now that lockdown is going to, 
it looks like it's going to be a lot longer than expected. So that number in terms of the contraction is getting bigger and bigger. um, And that means there's a bigger starting point or lower starting point for for the recovery as and when it happens. Right. So what does all this mean for the Aussie dollar? Because we had the, obviously, Friday's uh, job uh, numbers boosted the US dollar. The Aussie and the Kiwi dollar seem to have paid the price for that. Before that, I mean, they were both doing quite well. Before that drop, the Aussie was actually up 0.8% last week, which was even with a slight rise in the US dollar. Uh, over the same period. So it was doing okay, but then it was hit by non-farm payrolls. And then over the weekend, we had the China trade da- uh, data, which won't have helped, uh, I would have thought, won't, or won't help the Aussie and the uh, the Kiwi dollar this week. Well, although it looks like the Aussie dollar might have tried to regain some some ground this morning. Yeah, so at least at the initial stages, I suppose there, there's a couple of points to make. One, uh, for the Aussie dollar, from a technical perspective, to 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 make a sustained move up, up above that 74, 15, 74, 13 area, it's important. Um, so at the moment, we will still remain from a technical perspective on 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 downside risk, if you like. Um, the the positive takeaways from from last week was that because of the RBA and because of sort of the the look at what the economy will look once we get uh, vaccinated or at a high level vaccination has been supportive. Uh, but from a global perspective, um, the strength of the US dollar from, from non-pound perils is, is a challenge. And at the same time, this emerging risk that we keep in a very close eye is what is actually going on in China. There, there's, there's clearly a slowdown, and that was evident from the trade data over the weekend, not only from exports, which is a reflection of the sort of demand from outside of China, um, but also from the input side as well, um, which is a, a combination of the Delta variant, uh, creating a little bit of a, a, a restriction in activity, and also the supply story, which is also evident in, in, in some of the narrative coming from, from China. So there's a speed limit, if you like, to the ability of China to recover, and there's also now this added, added risk about the Delta variant. And that is important because China, of course, is a big, big factor for the global growth outlook. And if China slows down a bit more than expected, then that is not a good story for the Aussie dollar as well over the medium term. Yeah. And it all depends on vaccine Well, vaccine rates and how effective, if we're looking at China as well. I'm not saying it's necessarily ineffective, but there are people saying it is less effective than uh, what's being used in the West. But those vaccination rates. So the seven-day average for new COVID cases in the United States was 120,000 up to the, the weekend. Florida is seeing the highest cases ever. We're hearing stories like Austin in Texas, which is about to run out of ICU beds. And across the US, over 700 a day are dying from it, which is actually the highest since April. Still, just over 50% of the population fully vaccinated. I think it might have picked up a little bit over the last week, but that 50% is only up from 48% a month ago. So that seems like slow progress. And compare that 50% in the United States to 58% fully vaccinated in the UK and Ireland, 60% in Spain, 62% in Canada and Germany, 65% in Italy, 66% in France. We've mentioned this before, haven't we, that uh, you know maybe we're going to see faster growth in Europe because they're getting vaccinated that much faster. Well, yeah, it's not only just that they seem to be in a better vaccine position, if you like, but also uh, the big question mark in terms of the growth outlook for, for the next 12 months uh, for the US relative to, to, to Europe is that Europe has this other momentum coming from the, 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 the European Recovery Fund. And also the labor market is in a very position because of all the furlough programs that we saw during the pandemic have kept people employed. So the theory goes that mm-hmm. once you reopen and if you have people employed, then you have the ability to rebound quicker, yeah. 
whereas now, you know, the U.S. is still playing catch up and, and technically they, they still have a few more millions to, to make up in order to, to get where they need to be. Yeah. Well, look, you know, when we dissect the model, it's clear, isn't it? Which which one is the most effective? And I guess on the US, they'd argue, well, some of those jobs, uh, you know, pe- people may be going back to different jobs, so it'll sort itself out. But it seems to take time, which is not uh, not good for the economy. But the infrastructure package, a step forward on that. The Senate moved forward over the weekend. It's got, I mean, I'm not quite sure what the move was, except it's been voted that it's got broad support, but it's still a pretty weighty document. There's going to be lots of amendments likely, so it's no slam dunk just yet, is it? And it's going to take time. Yes. So my, my understanding of all of this is that the, the vote that occurred on Saturday means that there's now a commitment, if you like, from both sides to, to advance the, the, the bill. Um, and it, we, we may well get you know news uh, within the next 24 hours, if not earlier, um, but it will all depend on, on all these uh, amendments that the Republicans are, are trying to push through and whether they can actually get the, the vote done. And, and there's a couple of votes that are expected to occur uh, actually you know, within the next 12 hours or so. So um, there's a general sense that um, whilst there are some, op- op- some opposition within Republicans, that the, the bill will, will pass. Um, but the big picture here is that we're talking about the Senate. Once mm. this is passed in the Senate, then it all goes to the House, which is in recess, and it comes back in September. And what we know is that within the House, uh, Democrats have said, well, we will pass this bill as long as we pass the other you know, big infrastructure spending plan that Biden wants to get yeah. through. So there's still a lot of you know, um, you know, conditions and hurdles that need to, to get passed, but certainly this is a, a first step and, and it's a positive one. But it will take us on to September and then we need to see whether the other, the big important package, the one that really matters, if you like, uh, has the momentum and ability to, to get past. Now, there's going to be a bit of focus on inflation, isn't there, today? So, um, I mean, it's it's not far from the concerns in many people's minds. In fact, the non-farm payrolls really didn't deliver that expected easing in the growth of, of average hourly earnings, did it? And then there was some uh, research over the weekend by KPMG in the UK that showed starting salaries there are at the fastest growth rate in 24 years. Now, a chunk of that might be Brexit-related, but many in many parts of the world, uh, except for close to home, uh, wage growth is is being a concern, and you know that 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 that's going to push through to inflation and on inflation we get cpi and ppi for china today uh, and then u.s cpi later in the week as well so a lot of inflation data a lot of inflation data and i, I suppose the, the 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 narrative in terms of the the inflation story in in china is that um we we expected the headline number there in terms of inflation to ease a little bit so Again, in terms of what's going on, in terms of the potential slowdown that is, it may be a little bit bigger in, in China, uh, inflation is not going to be or is not looking to be an impediment for, for further easing coming from China. So that's the, the Chinese story, if you like. The story in the U.S. is has two two dynamics. One, the very near term, it's all about temporary factors. So the details on on Wednesday will matter in that regard. Is it all about you know used cars, or have we seen a decline in terms of the pressures that we've seen in used cars, for instance? But then there's the medium term story, and and so the the the, the measures about cost of living of housing is, is one very important dynamic that is ticking up ever so slowly, but it's ticking up, and history tells us that once that starts ticking up. You know, it keeps going for quite some time. And, and the other one is, is, as you say, is the wages. The wages story is, is actually improving significantly in the U.S. So and in six months' time, we're not going to be talking about the temporary factors. We're actually going to be talking about those more permanent factors. 
um, that are likely to keep uh, core inflation higher. So, so that's how the debate is likely to shift in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, in coming months. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what we see today on that. We also get job openings in the U.S., which uh, you'd assume after payrolls on Friday are going to be pretty strong again. But we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Rodrigo. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Phil. Cheers. And I am Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then. <laughs>